we begin today by looking at an article that suggests there are jobs that are more depression prone than others. So that made me think, are you in a stressful job? Do you feel the stress of your job? And even if you look at stress, meaning depression, have you had to take time off from work? It's interesting looking at some of the statistics coming out of the United States. Um, it's saying here from Washington, D.C., at some point in employees' lives, they have been diagnosed with depression. And these are workers in the U.S and they miss an estimated 68 million additional days of work each year than their counterparts who have not been depressed. Dr. Raymond Hamdan, good morning. And good morning to you too. Good to see you again. Well, it's good to be back in Dubai. It's warm. It's warm, it's hot. (coughs) And of course, Tom and the gang on the agenda have been talking about the weather this morning. It's been particularly hot for the time of year and humid and how that can affect our mood. And it, it seriously can affect our mood, can't it, Doctor? Seasonal affect disorder, and it works in all different regions of the world for different reasons. When it originally came out, it was actually called cabin fever, and it was a known disorder that was for people who were in the Appalachian Mountains, which is where I was born and raised, in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains, where people could not get out of their homes during winter months. And those winters were really, really deep. Now, I'm not old enough that I'm going to tell you I had to walk in 10 foot of snow just to get to school barefooted every day. That's not the case. But there was actually regions in the United States and other parts of the world where it was uh, difficult to even get out of the house, even to the point where it would snow so much and the snow drift would cover up the windows on both floors of the house that the only contact with outside was through the chimney. And people would have to come and rescue by dropping food into the people's homes through the chimneys or medication or whatever they needed. So their circadian rhythm also changed with that and was affected. Sometimes people didn't know what it was day or night. And as a result, with the lack of sunlight, which we know is vitamin D and it's very important for daily nourishment and even for thriving, it was difficult for people to actually have a normal kind of a lifestyle after being in the dark, so to speak, for 72 hours or more. Today, seasonal affect disorder, which is now what is called then cabin fever, is even for hot weather where you can't get outside. And it can be so difficult, you can't actually get outside. And people say, well, you can still enjoy the sun rays through your windows and things like that, but it's not the same as the direct sunlight. So for people who cannot get outdoors into the fresh air, the sunlight, what we're seeing is more this depressive kind of feature that is both psychological and physiological. Yeah, and if you're like me, I actually don't open my curtains during the summer because I want to retain as much as I can shade the house because, of course, those uh, bills are high when it comes to electricity, air conditioning. So mm-hmm. even within the house, it's, it's interesting you call it cabin <coughs> fever. I do have moments where you think, oh, you know, it feels like that a little bit through the mm-hmm. summer, rather like it, what it would feel if I was back in my home country in the UK during the winter where you feel like you're indoors a lot you're not out very much because it's too cold and it feels dark so we have to watch that don't we we have to manage that and make sure that we do still get outdoors i've been doing boot camp at 6 a.m in the mornings mm-hmm. okay. killing me i have to say <laughs> and uh, you know it's still uh-huh. pretty humid at that time of the morning it can be but uh, nevertheless i feel better for it even though at the time it feels like you know it feels like torture but afterwards i feel better for it so it's about looking for avenues to 
to you know do some exercise inhale the air into your lungs even when it is hot and humid just try and get some outdoor uh, activity in time around the world we've become so conditioned to electronics that if part of the problem is a default in the electricity where we don't have television, we might not even have telephone, especially a lot of people don't have landlines anymore. Now it's actually cellular phones. So if you don't have a mobile access because in that community everything has been shut down and the generators aren't working, that even doubles the problem because now you have no contact whatsoever. And that can happen in certain places in the world. We don't appreciate that living in the United Arab Emirates because we're so technically oriented and so convenient here technically we wouldn't even imagine what it would be like to be without electricity but there's some place in the world where being without electricity is a daily event for three hours to six hours well imagine being locked into a home not because you're a hostage but by nature where there's a sun uh, where there's no direct sunlight you don't have electricity. The sun, the snow drift, so I'm trying to say snow drift, not sun drift. <laughs> snow drift is blocking you from even having any access to viewing the outside world. What it, it must be quite, quite frightening, quite uh, treacherous. And where is that, that's going to happen? Now, there's some places in the world where we've had snow problems, like in Canada several years ago, where people actually went to each other's home. And it would not be unusual to have 10 families piled up into one home. Well, one thing that you're going to get with 10 families, if you have an average of three people for family, that's 30 human bodies at 98.6 degrees <laughs> Fahrenheit. You're going to heat up a room with that many people. <laughs> I'm going to say, don't come over to my house at the moment then. If it's just going to add more, raise the temperature. <laughs> so so in, in certain parts of the world where it is already hot, you don't want to have that added heat. But in the places where it is already quite cold, you want to welcome that opportunity of having other human beings with you. That support system is very important. And the point that you're looking at is balancing your day as much as you can having exercise time you know yoga has become a very very important factor in a lot of people's lives and even if they don't have the viewing ability to follow the directions on their television set remember the exercises doing that is very very important here's an also a good time to remember how important water is the hydration process is inevitably one of the most important factors. Now, I'm not a physician to talk about it more intelligently, but we do know that when people dehydrate, it can affect them. It can affect their sleep. And if the sleep is affected, there's an increase in medical problem processes. There's going to be an increase in cognitive processes. Everything is affected with these situations. So it is, it is very important to have a rescue kit. Know what you're going to do in case you can't leave your house. Well, I think it's a point you're raising there with regards to if you're not getting out as much and maybe we're not cut off via snow drifts, but we could be psychologically cut off to a certain extent in that maybe you're not getting out as much as you usually do. You're not mixing and meeting people and socializing as much as you usually do. That could have an impact on you over the summer. And as you said, you know, SAD, it is a condition. It's seasonal affect disorder, did you say? Yeah, sad. SAD. Sad, yeah, exactly. Yeah, seasonal 
seasonal affect disorder. So watch it. You know, be mindful. Somebody's just texted in about mindfulness. What percent of your depression cases benefit from mindfulness meditation? We'll get to that in a few moments. And um, when you're talking about water, I did the, uh, well, I did about 10 kilometers last night walking on the beach track down in Jumeirah, the walking track there. And yes, it was humid. There was a bit of a breeze, but you know, I drank a liter of water. So I just couldn't get enough water actually down me. So yeah, do watch that you are staying as hydrated as you possibly can. And of course, Dr. Raymond, we are preparing for the holy month of Ramadan where people will be fasting. Mm -hmm. So uh, along the daylight hours, as well as fasting going out without food or water, um, you've also got to the added challenge of the humidity and the heat. Certainly not to question one's religious preferences, but make sure that you're medically capable of doing this. Uh, A lot of people do this for the right reason. They do it for their religious reasons. But it's also making certain that your physical aspects are going to be able to function, that you're going to be able to think, feel, and behave clearly. A lot of people may not be able to handle that uh, fasting process. Uh, So make sure you're getting medical attention with this as well. And Dr. Raymond Hamden, clinical and forensic psychologist based at the Human Relations Institute and Clinics, 4001 if you've got a question for Dr. Raymond this morning. His specialist areas he can help you with are mood swings, depression, relationship issues, anxiety, that kind of thing. So in your personal life or indeed in your professional life, that text number or you can call us on 04423 And we're going to look at, start with today at an article from health.com regarding the job the careers that are more prone towards depression apparently there are jobs that are more depression prone than others so what do you think might be on this list um dr raymond uh, one of the jobs careers on this list is uh people that work in the health profession and saying here that they're uh, the sort of statistics coming out for particularly with nursing, um, home child care workers, um, personal care providers top the list with nearly 11% of people in this field reporting about of major depression. Uh, now, this is coming out of the United States. It's over a year old. But to just to get an idea, um, a typical day in this profession would be feeding, bathing, caring for others who are often incapable of expressing gratitude or appreciation because they're too ill or too young or too old or they just aren't in the habit of it they just see that that person that individual as a service provider it can be stressful Uh, seeing people sick and not getting a lot of positive reinforcement can be very stressful for that person working in this industry now this is something that comes up quite a lot I think I often look at people and wonder who cares for the carer they're all often the last person that people think of to say how are you doing how's your your day uh what are your thoughts on this dr raymond do you see this in your field any kind of job that has stress uh which means that it is a is a, a challenge every day not only mentally but physically as well when things are unpredictable now some people like challenges that are are predictable some of them like unpredictable but in general when things no matter how hard you try are unpredictable especially the long hours 
and th- where you have very little control over a situation, these can lead over a long-term process to the things that, re- that are qualified as rating depression. Now, when we look at depression, are we looking at mild depression or major clinical depression uh, that could be both exogenous and endogenous, mm. so meaning that it's an external event that's creating sadness or a sense of loss, but also how did it affect us emotionally? What's happening to us chemically in in our bodies? These are all part of the process. But also, Here, whenever- what's interesting is that you know certain jobs you'll be you know on on this list is also people that work in sales. So a very different kind of job to somebody who's a carer who's looking after the sick or the you know infirm, and yet both could be uh, prone towards depression. So it's interesting that there's a definition for depression, but there are different reasons within the the work that you do that might lead you down that road of depression. Yeah, depression is one part of of stress. The other part is anxiety. Uh, before we started looking at general jobs, like what's listed in this article, we actually used to look at specific careers. As a matter of fact, there was some research back in the 60s and 70s that indicated that dentists had the highest suicide rate. And then came psychiatry. And then the most stressful job at the time was being an air traffic controller. And these were leading towards alcoholism, suicide indicators, drug use, things like this. And that was because of the stress level with these the unpredictability at the time. And, and uh, I don't know why dentistry, I think there was some statistical challenges on that one. But psychiatry, the unpredictability at that time, today psychiatry is a much different field. Even though it's different than psychology, we both work towards the same end. There's less concerned with unpredictability because now the research is very, very dynamic and very, very predictable. It's valid and reliable. So it's no longer the long-term process. It's more controllable. But today, when we look at the various kinds of jobs that are listed, if we look at caretaking, there is a psychology of the caretaker today in which we're realizing that the caretaker needs to be responsible for themselves. And it's kind of like when on an airplane, they tell you put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you help somebody else. A lot of people won't do that because they think I've got to help somebody else. Well, you know, if you lose oxygen and you're blacked out, you're not going to be able to help anybody anyway. And if there's a child next to you, they might not need that oxygen flow as quickly as you do. So it's better to put it on yourself. Well, we don't we don't realize that because we go through this guilt that we have to help somebody else first. Well, it's the same thing if we take that pattern of helping and that pattern of recovery, and we take that same pattern and put it in the helping field. A lot of people want to help others, and they forget about themselves. So every day you have to be careful how much time you spend. And some people are working overtime rather than it being a six- to eight-hour job. They may be pushed to have double shifts. That can be quite exhausting. And we've talked about before the balance for life or every day you need time. Sometimes what you need to do is just get away for 5, 10, 15 minutes every couple of hours. Sometimes that's very helpful. The thing with the nursing care, the uh, child care workers, is you can't just leave a kid by themselves if there's no one attending to them. If the parents are late to pick up that child, you can't just leave them on the front door of the school and say your parents will be here in a while. you got to stay with them. So those are situations that can happen. But what about the actual things that you were mentioning, like the feeding, the bathing, the care for them with very little 
if any, expression of gratitude or appreciation. Well, people may not do that because they are altruistically working, but even altruists want to be appreciated for being altruists. I mean, it's like asking, how many anonymous givers have you known? You probably know quite a few. They want to give anonymously, supposedly, but you know who they are because they even want to be appreciated for that. When we look at uh, things like social workers and general health care providers, we're looking at very similar situations. Like, for instance, how many people are in emergency room situations or in emergency care? Their job is 24-7. You know, even though they might go home at a particular hour, they may have to be available. So how well can somebody sleep if they think they might be woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning? So uh, long hours of work, uh, possibly uh, remuneration, so what you're being paid, um, whether that matches the responsibility and the type of job that you do, that could add to your feelings of stress or even depression. Um, not being appreciated, not being thanked for what yes. you do. Mm-hmm. Um, even uh, routine, so the monotony of kind of long hours doing the same thing every day. Maybe you're in a, uh, a place where you are working if you're in the healthcare and you're not in a team, but you're, you know, if you're looking after somebody's child, if you are looking after somebody elderly in their home, then it's just you and them. So you're not around other people to share the load or even, you know, have a moment of downtime, have a bit of, you know, go and have a coffee and a break and have a conversation with somebody else to take your mind off what you're doing and then go back to your work as you should professionally. People's attitude has also gone on the pendulum swing. Back in the 60s and 70s, it was obvious that people wanted to be part of a decision-making. They wanted to have value. They wanted to be appreciated. Then all of a sudden, it went over to the other side. People just wanted to make enough money to go out and, har- and party, have a good time, and then come back the next day, make enough money to go party again. Realizing what now the research is showing, the pendulum is coming back towards we want to be appreciated. We want to be part of a better world. We want to be productive. So with the pendulum swing, we're going to see that even the new generation today that at one time was only concerned about how much money can I make are realizing how important it is to be appreciated, to have gratitude, to see value in what you're doing. And we're talking about workplace stress and in particular looking at some of those industries, some of those jobs, careers that are more prone towards depression for employees. And we're looking at a list here from health.com. Um, we've looked at the healthcare profession, which is very high on this list. Uh, also sales, if you're working in sales. So we'll uh, explore why that might be if you work in sales. And in fact, if you work in sales, is it stressful? Why is it so? And how do you manage that stress or not as the case may be. Also, Dr. Ram is here, of course, to take your questions on any issues you might be facing today when it comes to anxiety or relationship issues, depression, uh, mood swings, you or a loved one. Lots of people texting in already on this, Dr. Raymond. Um, we mentioned before, you were mentioning about research back in the 70s about dentistry and dentists and that industry being very, uh, had a leaning towards uh, stress and depression. Those uh, statistics may have changed today, but one of our listeners has called us to say that she's a dentist and she believes the reason is because uh, you're working uh, every day uh, just working in a a small area which is a human being's mouth and that's really interesting I think about the jobs like if I go and have my hair done and I look at the stylist and I think every day all day they're standing 
cutting and 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 styling people's hair but they're having similar conversations mm-hmm. over and over yeah. again you yeah. know what did you do at the weekend how are you where are you going on holiday and i think gosh you know when you're doing that day in day out how is that similar as a dentist you are leaning over looking into your patient's mouth and that's what you do all day in a very very fine way because you're highly uh, educated and qualified to do that but it may have an effect on you I know now with uh, the dentist who I see here, she, she's a lovely uh, lady who has cameras now. So whenever she's looking in my mouth, I can actually see what she's looking at. And one day when she was commenting on what was going on in my mouth, I said, how can you kiss your husband knowing what's in, in his mouth? She said, I make him get a teeth checked every day before I kiss him. <laughs> I make sure it's flossing. <laughs> so so it, what, what's happening with the good caller who is a dentist and has had this experience, the research has varied. And the research that was effective back in the 60s and 70s has changed today because of technology. When we look at stress things were much, much stressful back then because we didn't have the technology that we have today. We didn't have all the research. We didn't have the purity of science and understanding how to predict things that we do have today. So things were much, much more stressful because people who were serious about their professions had to be able to make predictions. Actually, that's one of the reasons for the licensing is to make sure that you're not a quack or you're not a charlatan. That's one thing, to make sure that the government is protecting society from such. But then that you're also well-educated, you've been through a supervised experiences, and that you can be licensed to practice on your own, which means that you can actually understand what's going on to make predictions about what's happening. It was so much more difficult back then. Then we bring in the personality factors. There are certain people who have personalities. They like details. They like facts. Other people like to work in a general scope of situations. Well, let's say that your mom and dad said you have to become a dentist or you have to become a physician or a psychologist or a business person or you have to do things that maybe aren't your aptitude. Well, what you're going to find is that kind of career that you've gone into may be intellectually okay for you to do it because you can intelligently go through the program. But does it actually meet your aptitude level, your personality preferences? When you're dealing with things in a minute location, like, for instance, dentistry, that's quite a small area. But what about neurosurgeons? What if a neurosurgeon doesn't want to be a neurosurgeon, he just did it because mom and dad said you had to be, and he'd rather do generalist kind of things. That doesn't always apply, and you find yourself in an alignment problem. You're working a job that's not aligned with your personality preference. Accountants did a brilliant thing. What accountants used to be is nothing but taxpayer people. Now you have general accountants who actually are auditors. They can walk into a company. They can look at the company in general. They can give you better business ideas. They don't have to be working with the dime and nickel kind of a situation or the Phyllis and Didham situation. They can be looking at things in general. Well, what about professions that don't have that option? So you have a person who's in a career now that may not actually facilitate their personality preference. Mm. And this can be very, very stressful. When a person is in a situation they have to work details and facts, they don't want to be there. Or just the opposite. They might be in a job where they have to come up with the creative, imaginative stuff, 
And their suitability is actually the details and the facts. So that begs the question, are you in the right job for your personality? Uh, let us know your thoughts on that. Um, yes, yeah, so a dentistry, being a dentist, interesting, you know, attention to detail. I think about the posture. I think about, you know, uh, you know, it's repetitive in physique in what you're having to do. Um, it's not repetitive in what necessarily you're exploring within the mouth. And But there is a re- huge responsibility that comes with a job like that as you are taking care of others I think about people that work in spas you know the the therapist where you're in for us who visit a spa and I'm presuming we're not doing it every day all day every day but if we go there occasionally and we love walking into that place of tranquility with the beautiful music playing and it's all very quiet and very calm But I think I look at the therapist and think they're working in this all day. They have to have the right aura about them, the right tone and mood about them, because how they're feeling will transfer onto their uh, clients. And I just think, oh, that's interesting. When you're doing that all day, every day for years, how do you manage that? What do they do when they clock off and leave the spa? I bet they can't stop talking. I bet they need a bit of noise, a bit of sound. It's very, very important to realize that these are folks, they have to treat their 9 a.m. patients sorry, their 9 a.m. client, just the same as they're going to treat their 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. What about the ones at 7 o'clock at night? Mm. Are they going to be able to treat those folks the same energy level and interest level as the 9 a.m. patient, uh, at 9 a.m. client? Yeah, yeah. You know, and this is, this is a difficult situation. So, you know, when do you get your nails done? At 9 a.m. in the morning, you're going to get the best job or 7 o'clock at night. You know, and do they take breaks in between? And sometimes they don't. They're in a situation where they might not be able to do that. So are you in the right job? Not because you can intellectually do it, but it matches your personality profile. That's the key. And that exists in medicine as well. Your emergency room physician is not going to be happy doing dermatology or radiology as your pathologist is not going to be happy doing pediatrics or emergency room medicine. It has nothing to do with what's right or wrong or good or bad or which is prestigious. It has to do with your personality profile. What is it that matches your particular interest? Very interesting indeed. We'll keep your messages coming in on 4001. Now, Chris has uh, texted in to say, in fact, via our Messenger app to say, um, I'm a fraud analyst in a bank and I work from 7.45 a.m. to 4 p.m. We work odd hours and we are focusing on ATMs being tampered with. Fraud is what we're looking at. And we're on call all the time, anytime, to save our customers. This is a really interesting one. People that work as, you know, for customers, for customer service, being on call, having to respond um, at any given time, uh, that's going to affect your day and how you are and how you plan and maneuver through your day. But it also could be a heap of responsibility on your shoulders. It can be very detrimental responsibility. As a matter of fact, you're talking about forensics now. And a lot of these folks I've gotten to meet in the forensic conferences that I attend. And Dubai does have uh, these specialists here, and they do an excellent job. And some of the fraud that they have to deal with are fake passports, uh, as well as forgeries that are done in other kinds of documents or things that might be stolen or mismatched or whatever. So their job is quite intense. And also, it may link to things that shouldn't be on airplanes. So they need to be very, very alert, and they may even carry the responsibility of people's lives who are going to be on those aircrafts, for instance. I remember uh, one of my favorite professors, believe it or not, was Frank Abagnale. 
And Frank Abagnale is now working for the FBI, and his specialty is uh, check fraud. Now, people may remember the name because Leonardo DiCaprio actually played him in Catch Me If You Can. Mm. And he's now uh, quite a productive man. I'm not talking about Leonardo DiCaprio only. I'm talking about Frank Abagnale, who's doing a brilliant job. He loves what he's doing. He's actually teaching the good guys how to catch the bad guys, because at one time he was one of the bad guys, and who better to teach? Now, does this meet his personality profile? Actually, the reason that he was one of my favorite professors uh, for uh, the clinical, I'm sorry, for the forensic training I was doing, because he actually brought the books to life. And I got to learn from him what all of this stuff meant that you can only read about. Well, for him, it didn't look like it was intense because it was so natural for him to be able to talk about it. He'd been doing it all his life from the bad side to the good side. But for those of us who were studying fraud and our forensic training included that, whether it became our specialty or not, it's a very, very delicate situation. You know, part of fraud also is document analysis. How do you know if somebody actually signed that document? There's so much science now that's going into this. Now, in no way am I saying that graphology is a pure science, yet there's still a lot of questions out about that. But when people look at signatures, they're not just looking at analysis of the signature and what it means personalized a little bit that that little bit is questionable but what they can do with carbon and various other materials is determine when it was signed how it was signed the stress level that was assigned so a lot of these kind of things go into this it's not just a matter of picking up the telephone and said hey we got a document here what do you think you may actually have to get out of bed at one o'clock in the morning go to where the workplace is that's in question to actually do that. So then, if you're anticipating a call, how well are you going to be able to sleep? Because you can't afford to sleep through it. One here saying, I'm working as a director, uh, business development. I've been doing this for the last seven years, and I'm very successful in business. I earn very well, but I feel depressed because I have almost no work. I only have to work, really, one hour a day. My bosses are very happy. I can't leave the job um, uh, but I'm not happy I'm feeling depressed so this is really interesting for the person that texts this in many I was reading it and thinking wow you only work one hour a day you're earning really good money and your bosses are really happy with you Uh, but fair enough for you it's obviously this feeling that you want to do more with the rest of your day and it's making you feel depressed most of people are saying does he need an assistant yes and we'll certainly apply right away because that sounds very very glamorous to work one hour a day and many times bosses will say you're going to get paid so much money if you can do your job in one hour you made a lot of money in that one hour but if it takes you 10 hours to do it then you're going to make the same amount of money just divided by 10 and that's how much money you're making what we're looking at here may not be so much depression but might be boredom And boredom can lead to symptoms of feeling sad and blue or maybe hopeless, helpless, even to that extent. But usually there's a difference between feeling bored and feeling depressed. Feeling depressed is a sense of loss, where feeling bored may be a sense of not being productive enough. And that might be just it. And it also could have to do with not just work productivity. It can also do with personal interaction productivity. People need to interact with others. So when you do that one hour a day and you're doing it so well, your bosses are happy because you've done the job that you're hired to do. What are you doing for the other 23 hours? Are you just waiting for the next day when that 
job is going to be called on again for 8 o'clock in the morning or 12 o'clock noontime, whenever you want to do it to get that job done? Do you have other activities that are going on? Not knowing that intelligent listener who's written this in, I won't be able to comment any further because I don't know what their activities are. But if I speak in general, it would be how good is your balance every day? Do you have time to exercise? Do you have time to spend with family, with people that you care about? Do you have time for your own spiritual development, uh, understanding what you want out of life? You know, if you're going to define the def- if you're going to define the statement, my mission statement is. How would you define that? What is your mission statement in life? What do you think your actual values are? What are your boundaries? These are the kind of things that you want to be asking yourself. It's great that you can handle a job in one hour a day, but what are you doing the rest of the day? And this is nothing abnormal. As a matter of fact, this is very normal. Even people who don't have to work because they're very wealthy, they want to be doing something. As a matter of fact, sometimes the most productive people are the people who don't even worry about the money part because they have the luxury of not having to worry about it, and they actually end up working 15 hours a day doing things that are productive, even helping as schools, doing community projects, places of worship. They do projects there. They go to the local health centers and volunteer. So people want to have that sense of contribution to their community. What is your contribution to your community? Obviously, it's more than just having happy bosses because you can do your job in one hour. Mm. I think it's interesting how sometimes uh, one can find, be defined by the job that you do and it's almost, I, I mean even when you hear of people that are working long, long hours and you know reverse this and say if you're working really long hours, do you need to work that long? And some people want to just fill time with work even if they're busy doing nothing because the idea of doing absolutely nothing and not being in the office or being at home on their own fills them with horror so it's about you know as you said finding the balance that really means something to you not just tokenist actions because that's what you're supposed to do but actually finding something that makes you feel something you know feel happy feel good feel that you're giving or indeed develop yourself in some way you know take the time to you know learn something are new you, are you intellectually challenged yes yes exactly yeah uh, one of our listeners has made a good point here would it be a more interesting question to ask which job isn't stressful and why does being stressed sometimes become a badge of honor on a league table of comparative modern ailments and he's right you know we use the word stress a lot any job that you're aligned to do that you're happy to get up every morning because you know you're going to go do that job is a non-stressful job the job that is non-stressful for you may be very stressful for somebody else. That brings us back to the actual definition of stress. When we look at stress and how it affects our organism physically, our psychological state, the way we think, feel, the way we behave, what we're finding is that depending on your preferences in work, depending on your alignment in what actually enables you to feel comfortable, There are things that you might do for 10 hours in a day and the day just passes very, very quickly because you're energized. You're feeling good about it. You see the productivity. You're seeing the results of your productivity. You're realizing that people around you are benefiting. You're part of a team maybe that benefits whether you're working alone or directly as part of a team. What you're doing does affect others. Then there may be another job That seems to be simple enough, but if you do it for one hour, it exhausts you 
because it's not part of your personality alignment. So the answer to your question is, which question is the right one to ask? Any job can be stressful if it's not in alignment with your personality preferences. But any job would be non-stressful when it is in alignment.